Welcome to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena and today I'm talking to the fabulous Claire Ashton and we are discussing specifically her novel After Mrs. Hamilton, which is our book club read for March. I love this book. I highly recommend it and I warn you there are going to be massive, massive spoilers. So if you have not read this book, go do it now, then come back and listen to the podcast because we're actually going to go in depth into the two main storylines and believe me you don't want to hear spoilers on this book this is one of those books where if you hear spoilers it'll just ruin the whole thing for you so go read it first thank you for joining me today Claire hi so let's let's start with the the easy question so what is the general reaction to this book because it's it's not of the norm in lesbic no it's not out of my books it's the real marmite book it's it's the one really divides readers I've heard people really love that it's a bit different or they absolutely bloody hate it <laughs> it's, it's it's one that brings out a real vitriol in of all my books and I, I suppose it's not surprising the incest aspect of it does provoke disgust in some rather than the point of it provoking sort of uh, thoughts about that issue and, um, and fair enough if you want a feel-good romance this ain't it it does break an awful lot of the lesbic rules that I'm gradually compiling in my head. I find it a very fussy and prescriptive genre, which I don't think is always healthy for a genre. I think it encourages sort of blandness, I think. I didn't know the lesbic rules when I wrote this. And in fact, I didn't think of it as a romance even. Um, I, I thought of it as more of a love story with intrigue. In fact, it does really infringe quite a lot of those rules that I know, know a bit more of them. But I didn't set out deliberately to break all those rules, even if some people get that impression. <laughs> so yeah, it, it divides readers. I like that you broke the rules, frankly, because it means that you gave us a story that we don't see. Yeah, I hope so. And it's, well, it's the kind of book that I, I, I do like a formula romance. I like, I do, I want a cosy read sometimes. So, but I, sometimes I want something different as well. So I really admire authors who do step outside the box and um, push those limits and and break those rules because that that is the kind of book that I'm I get very excited when I find so the expression of Marmite book this is a this is a UK expression I take it because it's not something I've heard before Marmite is a spread that you put on toast and either people think it's lovely and they can't live without it or they are disgusted by it entirely and never want to eat it you don't just like marmite you love it or you hate it (laughs) (laughs) okay okay cool see we learn something new every day (laughs) all right so how's this one sold in comparison to your other books then easier than penance um much slower and harder sell than poppy jenkins and that's certain something which are two very light romances it's not a happy ever after easy read so it's not surprising in this market but sales do keep trickling in and that and poppy jenkins uh out of my book so those are the two that seem to have captured people's imagination and they do keep selling so i can't complain it's kind of got there in the end but uh yeah not an easy sell this one though i think would slip across to the mainstream market a lot easier than something like poppy jenkins which is a much purer romance so have you tried to do that no not since it's published i did before i um self-published it i did try agents uh uk agents um and got a little bit of interest um, you know, a couple requested the full manuscript but didn't go with it in the end they were quite encouraging about the story and the writing so i thought it was worthwhile self-publishing but i haven't tried marketing it beyond the lesbic audience actually but i, I agree i think there's of my straight friends that's the that's the book that they enjoy most because there's um a lot more to it than just the romance i think 
absolutely. Having said that, though, you write romance just oh exquisitely. So I just want to, but your writing in general is exquisite. So I actually pulled a line out of the book. This is an example of your writing, which makes my heart flutter. Okay. Images rushing vividly into her head like water into blotting paper, threatening to overwhelm. See, this is the kind of prose that you have in all your books. And this is what makes me think that you should be jumping across to mainstream. Because this is, this is world-class stuff here. But thank you. It's a very nice compliment. I mean, it, it, it's nice when people like your writing because plenty don't I mean it's such a subjective thing style of writing isn't it I mean some people will find that horribly flowery and descriptive and god woman get on with the story so it's really nice to hear that you do like it maybe I'll try a more mainstream story again sometime not for the moment though I love writing lesbic romances they make me happy and at the moment I'm happy to keep writing them and we'll keep reading them so let's get into the meat of this so the first storyline I want to uncover is Chloe's storyline so it's Chloe and Fran and Chloe is such an interesting character because she's the woman who doesn't fall in love. So she's such a, a diverse character. You've got her on the one hand saying things like, people fall for me all the time. Just it scares me how intense they are before I even get a chance to find out who they are. Okay, so she, she finds that people fall in love with her. People desire her. People are have these strong emotions towards her because she's a beautiful woman. She's unattainable and... As a result, this kind of informs a bit of her career choice to become an escort. Hmm. Tell me about this character. What made you want to write this character? Because she's such a brilliant character. Yeah, she's such a mix of um, extremes. She's quite a... Uh, I, yeah, I find very interesting still. When I was flicking through last night, I'd forgotten about her complexities, actually. Yeah, she's such a mix of qualities and on the one hand she is very damaged character her mother is a horribly bigoted and that's a very damaging upbringing she had but at the same time she still has this generous heart and is willing to open up to people and uh, is very loving and optimistic which I think that was quite a nice contrasting mix to have and yes she's very beautiful that's something she has in common with Fran so that's kind of something that they have that bonds them that they're very used to people falling over their feet to get to them and falling in love with them before they before they have a chance to find out who this person is so I thought that was a nice thing for them to bond over and have in common but at the same time it's funny that Chloe does exactly that to Fran she she just can't help being goofy and being a great big fan and totally in love with her and not being cool at all around Fran so I thought that was quite a nice Thing that she she's something that she suffers from herself. She indulges in just as much as everybody else. It's true, but because Fran is older, she handles it with a lot more finesse than I think Chloe does when people do it to her. Yes, yes, I had much more practice and much more adoration. Because Fran is, is in the spotlight, she almost seeks it, or it's a byproduct of her career. You know. Yes, yes, he's had plenty of time to adjust to it. Here's another quote about Chloe, particularly. She had watched strangers approaching her with that lustful look in their eyes, convinced they already knew who she was, reacting with indignation when they realized she did not feel the same way. This this is a theme throughout the book, this, this feeling of Chloe feeling detached from other people, feeling... Like, she doesn't want to necessarily bond or get close because people get so passionate about her beauty. 
and the physical appearance. And so it kind of manifests in this thing where she now goes and, and works in a job where she is just this beautiful woman that is used by others, but at least she gets paid highly for it. And as a result, she can't actually fall in love and then she meets Fran. And there is her mother's very adverse reaction to Chloe's looks and the fact that Chloe is a lesbian as well. So it's this interesting kind of dynamic that she's got this relationship with herself and then this relationship with women around her. So when she does fall in love with Fran, it's almost like she's found the one person who can really see it through all of that. Chloe's a character I had sort of kicking around in my head for ages, and I really like her because she was this damaged character but still had this good heart and generosity. And I just wanted to give her you know, the, the biggest love of her life that I could possibly imagine. So I created this gorgeous character who's you know, the most, one of the most beautiful women in the world, basically. Maybe a little older now but than what people would consider past her prime. But with Chloe's taste, she still, still is this completely gorgeous woman. And she's been in love with her as a film star. She's actually met her when she was a child and she was just this wonderful, warm hearted woman who played with her and then she meets her again as Mrs Hamilton and falls for her then it's just she out of all my books um that Chloe is the one with the one love of her life really and she just falls in love with her over and over again in different ways right from being a child and thinking she was this perfect woman who was lovely to the film star gorgeous film star to this customer who was just someone she could connect with and, and then as Finally, as Fran, the real woman, she falls in love with very deeply. So, I, yeah, I, I love that idea of not being able to get away from this ideal woman for her. That actually was the best payoff. She basically says, how many times do you have to make me love you? Because she, she counts, you know, as the film star, as Mrs. Hamilton, as Fran. Like, how many times do you have to make me fall in love with you? And that was just the best payoff, was that that romance yeah, I mean, that, that's what it was all going for, that moment of realisation and, and, you know, right in the heart kind of impact of her realisation and love. I, yeah, that's that culmination of everything for Chloe's story. It was like the perfect romance moment when she says that. Oh, it was beautiful. So how long did it take you to, to formulate that structure? Because this is quite a complex story. You have to foreshadow that this is going to happen so that when it, it happens, the reader's like, oh, wow, I should have seen this coming, but not so that they're like, oh, yeah, of course it was it was going there. So how long did that take you? It, it took many months to think of the plot. I'm, I'm definitely a, a plotter rather than a panster, so I have to have the outline of the, the plot, which, if you know what's coming, it's much easier just to drop the odd hint in as you go along. The story came to me over probably something that had in the back of my mind for a couple of years, actually, kind of Chloe and Laura were friends. That's where it all started. They were friends that I had had, that I tried to write about before. And then I thought that the sister storyline I had sort of independently, but I thought I'd give that to Laura. And then I wanted to tie her in with Chloe's life somehow in a way that was unexpected. And then I loved Chloe, so I wanted to give her this fabulous romance. So it, it was all kind of sort of just simmering in a back of my mind for a long time before uh, I got down to actually outlining it but then yeah I, I, I definitely find that if I've got an, a decent outline then the foreshadowing is much easier to drop in subtly and I find that if, if people do 
guess the twists, I hope that it's still interesting enough to see it played out and to watch Chloe being naive and um, just watching her gradually realise is, is still fun. I Hopefully, anyway. So. <laughs> well, the first time I read it, I didn't see the twist coming and I was bowled away by both of the, the major twists in the story. And then I read it now, re-read it recently for this podcast. And I just, I loved it even though I knew what was coming. Oh, good, good. <laughs> and I saw that, I saw the foreshadowing and I was like, ha, so this is where the foreshadowing is happening. Because at the time you had said to, you did tell me that there was foreshadowing and I couldn't kind of recall where it was. So that was fun to look out for. <laughs> okay, so an interesting thing with Chloe is if you read after Mrs. Hamilton now in the context of what's happening now in the world with the Me Too movement and the woman standing up and saying, you know, it's not my fault. I'm not your uh, sexual toy. I'm I'm not here for your sexual gratification. I'm looking at Chloe's storyline and there's a lot of references to people blaming her for something that she's not responsible for. So her mother, for example, will often blame Chloe for like when she was a kid, there's a scene where she's at a birthday party and, and little girls are pulling up their dresses and showing her their knickers and then the mom comes and smacks Chloe for it and Chloe's like what what is going on here other people's reaction to Chloe not feeling as strongly for them as as you know they do for her so it's this this kind of if you take her in the context of what's happening now in the world you've got a character which very representative of women generally it is not us that is causing the reaction of men or do you understand what I'm saying Yes, I mean, it's something that women have known sort of individually or in groups for years and felt, haven't they? So, I mean, that's why the Me Too movement, I think, has been so powerful in this massive wave because it's been building up the awareness for ages and ages and it just needed a, a spark to take it over the ticking, tipping point. Um, so, yeah, very much she's uh, yeah, very much a, a typical woman in that way. So, yeah, there was a Me Too there from Chloe. <laughs> Yes, and I actually just think it's it's really interesting that you managed to capture it so... Because I don't think most women sit down and think about this as specifically um, until until this movement came out. I mean, we we sort of knew it was there, but it wasn't like a, a thing that we sat down and thought about. It's, well, it's so ingrained, isn't it? Um, that, that you're always told to, well, that that's just men pestering and that kind of thing. That That's the mentality and approach that you you, you just put up with it. There's a lot of things that women have to put up with, like uh, medical conditions that if they were a man, it would have been researched thoroughly, but you're a woman, so you just put up with it. Women have been told to put up with things for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, it's all part of that. But the fact that you had really delved into that was just really interesting for me. Okay, so let's talk about Laura's storyline. So Laura's close bud. And then when we first meet her, we meet her in a bar when she's waiting for Chloe to come. But Chloe has an appointment with Mrs. Hamilton, so she stands Laura up. So in the bar, Laura meets Susan. Susan is also waiting for Chloe. Susan is a friend from America, and the two women get talking. And then we we discover that there's chemistry between them, even though Laura is married and she's having a, a tough time with her husband. So... Laura and Susan have the most incredible chemistry and it's it's kind of very different from Chloe's relationship with Fran. It's more intense physically from the beginning. It's it's less it's a little bit more kind of taboo from the beginning because Laura is married. So there's this to and fro this this no 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 we can't possibly where there isn't that with Chloe and Fran. Chloe and Fran just kind of develop naturally. Let's talk about that. Talk about that relationship and why you want to <laughs> 
just just tell me everything about this. What about what well, I mean? I suppose the the storyline, the sister storyline, it, it's something that just came up as kind of pub conversations, kind of just uh, what is the problem with incest when you take away several issues and what what are the repercussions if you take away um, that that you can't have children that you there's no prior relationship um it's just an interesting to strip away a taboo to see what why is it actually a taboo because sometimes there there actually no good reason for it in some circumstances i mean in the book there there are still repercussions and very good reasons for why it's still a taboo because it completely wrecks their lives basically but it's still interesting to play around with this from an intellectual point of view anyway Hard to write, though, a romance when you know it's so doomed. I, I, think, I think you tell from the writing, or some people can anyway, I, I can, that uh, it was easy to write Fran and Chloe's relationship. They, they, they make me happy. I have a big goofy smile when I write their scenes, and I could have written scenes for them for, forever and ever. I, I, I love them. But um, really hard to get into a couple where you know they're going to tear each other to pieces later, so I found that much more difficult. Not from a sort of squeamishness, point of view strangely the physical side of it it's very easy to get into their heads and view it as this is just a person who's very attractive to me without thinking about the repercussions but from an emotional point of view and having to consider their arc and get into that love story uh, I found that incredibly difficult actually and uh, of the of the two relationships I think that's the least successful out of the two just uh, but then I'd I think Fran and Chloe are my favourite couple from any of my books anyway, so difficult to compare. I don't know if I agree with you. I think maybe because you did struggle with it, it came across as more real because there was the struggle. I mean, there was the struggle all the time. Like, Laura and Susan did not know they were sisters, right? So let's let's. So for those avid listeners who are listening who have not read the book and they listened anyway, see, this is a big spoiler, <laughs> the fact that they're sisters. Okay, they did not know they were sisters. Laura... Um, was looking for her family. She she was adopted when she was a kid and her adopted parents died in a fire. So they couldn't ever tell her who her real parents were. Her birth certificate had been changed. So she was really struggling to find her actual family. She meets Susan. The two of them fall for each other. There's this immediate chemistry. She sees, she literally sees her future family in Susan. I mean, there's a line here that says she's watching Susan with a little girl at, at this time. And she says, the feeling was so powerful, she forgot to breathe, and she stared at the scene of her longed-for family. As she's watching Susan, she realizes this is the family she needs. Then they discover, through this long and complicated thing, that actually they are sisters, and then there's this real physical reaction. I'm going to read the scene. This is Laura's uh, point of view. What had she done? She felt numb, not able to take in the discovery of her family and its cruel, immediate loss. Stabbing through her numbness, she realized she was going to lose Susan, the woman she loved more than anything in the world, and a woman she'd been trying to find her whole life. I'm going to lose her, she thought, and there was nothing she could do about it. Laura's belly clenched. Oh, God. The nausea swelled up and heaved from her stomach. Poor Laura spends the next, I don't know how many chapters, vomiting. She has like this (laughs) massive physical reaction, and she loses weight, and she just can't cope with anything. And eventually, Chloe comes to the rescue... Who and she actually says pretty much what you had said earlier, which is like, why is there a problem? She she gives her this little pet talk and she says, I think it's because there's been no abuse, no abuse of position of trust or authority. You're both equals. She frowned. 
No one's been taken advantage of and there's no reproduction, no risk of becoming pregnant with a child who might suffer physically. So why would it be so terrible? Aren't those the reasons it's a taboo? Then you leave us hanging with this ending where you don't tell us what actually happens with the sisters. You don't tell us if they become lovers again or if they become sister-sisters or what actually happens with them. But having said that, and I know it's a question just now, but I don't want to know. <laughs> I like it like that. Um, it's probably an advantage for the the people who've just found it too squeamish. I mean, there were a couple of reasons I left it sort of as an inconclusive ending for them. I mean, it resolving their relationship just didn't fit the timeline of the story that's a complex scenario that that's it is left in that's going to take months years to resolve and it just didn't um fit the book um and also i just thought it'd be interesting to let the reader draw their own conclusions i've set it up closed it's kind of done the debate for them and now what should they do i, I thought that was really appealing um ending um, apparently this is really not what you should do for romances though equivocal endings inconclusive storylines they're definitely on that rules list <laughs> um again i'm glad i didn't know about the rules list for that one because I, I i still think that was the right thing for me to do for that particular storyline i agree with you because i don't think you could have ended it happily i think ending it the way you did allows the reader to insert their own happy ever after and if they get together as lovers again, it just doesn't fit. And if they get together just as sisters, that also doesn't quite fit. So it's better to just leave it open, I think. So I think you did the right thing. Mm, oh, good, good. Plus, you have the happy ever after of, of Fran and Chloe. So that's, you know. Exactly. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a, you know, running off into the sunset, sunset holding hands for you anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think it's fab. Now, you actually write this, like, really intense chemistry between women, which I find is wonderful about lesbic because you just don't find this kind of chemistry in heterosexual uh, novels, right? Let me give you some examples of what I mean. This is when Chloe is giving Mrs. Hamilton a massage. The change in her tone and the way she touched her made Mrs. Hamilton's skin become alert. When I was reading this, I was like, that is such a beautiful description of, of what it is, because... You know, when somebody who you find attractive touches you, that's exactly what happens. How are you, like, how much attention are you paying to your romantic moments in life that you are able to write stuff like this? How long, like, would this take you a day to sit down and figure out how to write? Or is this just something that naturally comes to you? Because I'm a plotter, I suppose in my writing, I, I daydream a lot before I start even plotting. So I have characters come in and scenes and moments and those kind of very intense moments, I think, are the bits that probably come first and then the rest of the story is kind of building up to them. But those are the, the, the very, um, the, the high sort of poignant moments or the, the notes that you really want to hit in a book for me, I find. So I find that kind of moment and those relationships and those sparks tend to come quite early for me and then I kind of have to weave the rest of the story around to capture those Um so I don't, I don't tend to just sit down and try and bash it out and think it through. It kind of, I've had the idea of probably mould it over several times and then I have to just try and capture it in words when I sit down. Let's get to some listener questions and comments. So I put out a thing on the Facebook book club and people asked you some questions. So here they are. So Anne Etta wants to know, what was your inspiration for each couple? Oh, we've covered this already, actually, haven't we? Um, I mean, yeah, Chloe and Laura were 
they were the first characters I thought of. Um, they're the the um, friends who I wanted to be connected in a surprising way. Chloe, uh, yeah, the, the, the inspiration for Fran is um, very clearly Catherine Deneuve and Fanny Ardott and those um, amazing French actresses from that era. The the prostitution angle for Chloe's job, I I don't know. I don't know if um, maybe it's from yeah watching too many French films like Belle de Jour, but it, it might be that Chloe is this. Um, she's the kind of tart with a heart archetype. So maybe it came from, you know, the damaged character, but still with the generosity. Um, so I don't know if it came from there. But, um, yeah, well, mainly, yeah, watching too many Catherine Deneuve films, definitely drunken pub conversations, also possibility there, and then just daydreaming it all together. So that's where the inspiration's from. So Tara asks what sparked it for you, but I think we've you've just covered... Yeah, we've kind of covered that, haven't we? She also asks, was there an emotional toll to writing this book? Yeah, well, I suppose we covered that a bit already. With the the, the Fran and Chloe storyline is is just lovely light romance for me. The Laura and Susan storyline, yeah, I was saying earlier that I, I found that very difficult um, because it was so doomed. But then, like you said, it's perhaps a more realistic scenario, more real writing, more real reactions, quite raw. And Chloe and Fran are definitely the light romance kind of more formula. But yeah, writing this Laura and Susan storyline, much more difficult. Um, because uh, they're the, you, I had to try and open them up to a relationship that I knew was doomed from the beginning. And and when you write, you do make yourself vulnerable when you write because you need to feel what the characters are going through. Um, so, well, I think you do anyway. It's uh, I don't think it, it's harder for the reader, I think, to connect with the characters and feel it too if you haven't felt it when you're writing it. It's possible, um, probably, but maybe not for me, I think. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely hard to write those two. How, what do you do when something is, is hard to write? Do you procrastinate? That's what I do. I procrastinate terribly and then ponder life while I'm, you know, trying to figure out why it's it's difficult and how to overcome. Or do you just plow ahead and do it and then come back for like draft to, to fix it? Yeah, I, I plow in. I swear about it. I go away. I'm grumpy for days. I have to come back to it. And then I want to throw the book away and give up writing. And, and then my wife tells me not to be silly because I said this last time and the time before and the time before that. And then I have a grump about that because she's right. And then I eventually sit down and get it sorted. So you, you're you a typical um, author then? Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Holly Broadfoot asks... Was the plot you had in your head when you started the book the same as the plot with the finished book? Did the characters take you in directions that you hadn't expected? I mean, yeah, like I say, the uh, I've said that I'm much more of a plotter. I daydream about um, a story before I even start writing notes for for months or beforehand. Um, and then before I start the first draft, I've got a, a decent outline. There's always a lot of wriggle room for scenes and characters and the themes and the emphasis of things, but I must know the bones of a novel before I go ahead. And I, and I do find it really helpful for where you have a, a little bit of a twisty plot. If they, you, don't, you do want to put the foreshadowing, even with a straightforward plot. Like with Poppy Jenkins, it's actually a very simple romance, but there's a lot of detail scattered throughout it, hints and foreshadowing in that even. And I, and I like being able to do that to Add to the richness and the layers of a book. I think it's much easier if you have planned it from the start. Or I mean, I suppose if you're a pantser, you can go back and do redraft several times. But um, oh, that sounds like hard work. I'd much rather plan. And <laughs> so uh, yeah, I much prefer to plan. Do you sit and write your book from the beginning to the end after you've planned it? Yes, I do. I've tried. 
I've tried not to because some people, well, kind of, I suppose I will write, if a scene comes to mind with dialogue, I will write it all down quickly um, to get it while it's fresh and because I'm terribly forgetful. So I will write down whole scenes and snippets of dialogue. But then once I'm doing the first draft, yes, I have to do it from beginning to end. I've I've tried kind of jumping ahead to do a scene I really want to do, but it it didn't work because you do slightly change things as you go through the draft. I I drop scenes because they're not needed. So um, I find it for me, it works better that way. Especially if you if your process is to plot the whole thing, then you want to build like a Lego house. Renee Ninaba asks, if Kiki Archer decided to cast the book as a movie, who would you want to see in the main roles? Now, I just have to sort of segue here slightly. Everybody's super excited about Archer's new film production company. Yeah, there really aren't enough um, spin films out, so more than Maria. It's, yeah, I, I, I haven't heard about uh, Brokeh recently, but I hope it's going well, because yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see people doing more films. Absolutely. All right. So, who's your ideal cast for this movie? Um. What? Well, well, the the obvious one is go back in time. Get Catherine Deneuve when she was in her fifties. Perfect for Fran. I mean, that I will accept no other substitute. So yeah, invent try and try and travel, please. <laughs> the others. Um. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't have any obvious people for the that come to mind for the others. So, but yeah, no Catherine Deneuve for Fran. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Victoria Thompson, forgive my pronunciation, D'Agostino says, Did you think that readers would not connect Mrs. Hamilton from the opening of the book to the actress who moves in across the way from Chloe? I immediately knew that they were the same woman and wasn't sure if that's how it was supposed to be. Now, I just want to say, Victoria, I didn't know. I had no idea, so it was a big surprise for me. But I love surprises and I try very hard not to guess what's coming (laughs) in books, so... Yeah, it, it's um, it's it's really interesting what's obvious to one reader and not others. I mean, I haven't heard yet from anyone who guessed all three twists, um, being Mrs. Hamilton being Fran, the sisters, and how it all ties up at the end. And in fact, there was one reader who really prides herself on spotting twists. She's a avid crime reader, and um, she spotted the sisters, which I thought was kind of the second most difficult to spot. She was working out how the ending tied together, which I thought was the hardest. Um, but completely missed that Fran was Mrs. Hamilton. In, in fact, she apparently uh, shouted, oh my God, and threw her book across the room, which I just love. <laughs> so it's, yeah, um, people find different things in, in the book and find some things obvious that others miss entirely. It's uh, uh, very entertaining. <laughs> That's fantastic. So have you gotten a lot of feedback about this book as opposed to other books? Yes, the, this is probably the one that um, generates most interest and most questions, I think. And then probably after that, Poppy Jenkins. Those are the two that kind of um, capture the imagination, I think. Penance is a, is a tough book, but um, that certain something was adorable, so I'm surprised it wasn't bigger. It's um, I mean, it sold well. Um, that's that's still my bestseller. Um, but it's it's a simple, frothy romance. It, that what's it? That's uh, my aim with it. It was just to make, give people a giggle, a nice romance. It's, you know, a London rom com. Who doesn't like those? Um, so it's a read it, enjoy it, but um, perhaps doesn't make you think or linger with you as much as the the longer books, which are more involved. So I think Mrs. Hamilton does does tend to stay with people, not always in a good way, but um, um, so I think that's probably why. Enrico has a comment. He says, 
I don't want to ask anything about Laura and Susan. I have my idea about it and I don't want Claire to touch it. She left it to my choice and I chose. <laughs> then Tara wants to know what happens next for the characters. No, Tara, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> then Jan Graham wants to see and wants to know, would you ever consider a sequel? I've met Jan Graham actually. She asked me about this. They told me to write a sequel for Laura and Susan. But I, I, I had considered it actually. I, I generally don't want to do sequels. Once I've kind of wrapped up a story, I kind of want to move on. But I was tempted to do one, but I, I doubt I'll ever get round to it because I always want to move on to a new story. But so, so maybe, maybe just for Jan someday. <laughs> I think it was perfect just the way it was. I don't think you should touch it. Don't touch it. Just leave it. <laughs> Write other books. Nice, fresh, new, exciting stories we can get involved in. Okay, so people need to go and buy... Go buy After Mrs. Hamilton if you are just... You know, one of those people who've listened to all the spoilers and now you know exactly what the twists are and you haven't read it. Go buy it because it's really excellent. And go buy Poppy Jenkins because that's really excellent. And if you want a really dark read, go buy Penance because it's very beautiful. But, like, scarily dark. And then if you want a light frothy London romance as Claire calls it go buy that certain something all brilliant books all well worth the purchase you can find them on Amazon I will put show, uh, links in the show notes also where can they find you online because now you're going to have all these stalker people because you're just so awesome <laughs> um um <laughs> I'm on Facebook and I use Facebook most uh, I don't really use Twitter but yes come and friend me on Facebook I won't turn a friend request down and do you have a website? Y- yes um, it's just a WordPress blog at the moment I'm hoping to get a shiny new website at some point so that's Ashton at wordpress.com so you're okay I'm just going to simplify this I'm going to put all the links to follow Claire on you know Facebook, Twitter, website I'm going to put them in the show notes so just go there because they're all different all over the place <laughs> Okay. Here's a teaser from the podcast that our patrons get to hear. Okay, so here's a personal question. <laughs> How personal? I know we've had this conversation before and you you swear that you are not a breast woman. I, I, I'm going to prove you wrong here. My first reader was halfway through the first draft and wrote to me to say that she would scream if she... You have been listening to the Lesbian Review podcast, a podcast spin-off of the popular website, The Lesbian Review. If you love what we do, then become a patron and you will gain access to exclusive content such as podcasts, interviews and discussions that are not found anywhere else. You can also come and join the conversation on Facebook at the Lesbian Talk Show chat group. Here you can find all of our podcasters, the latest podcasts, updates and weekly questions. That's all for this week. Bye. Bye.